Hi, this is Pastor Steve Lance from Noble Assembly of God. Thank you for tuning in today. I pray that this message from God's Word will bless and enrich your life. drive us. And so uh, we're going to begin that today. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and we're going to read from, from 2 Timothy chapter 3 here in, in just a moment. Um, but 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 12 through chapter 4 verse 5. And so several, as a way of introduction, several years ago, I think around 2001, Caleb and I decided to go out to Thunder Valley Raceway. Anybody ever been out to Thunder Valley and watched the drag racing, okay? Well, we decided to go out there and, and just to do something, you know, we, we like cars and, and uh, we like to see, uh, you know, races and, and we just have an interest in that. And so we went out there and after we had watched several Fords blow away lots of Chevys, no fighting words, huh? No, we saw something very interesting, a sight that made us laugh at first. All of a sudden, there was this old, beat-up, red Chevy truck with a camper on the back that came out there. It looked like it drove right off of the farm, and, and if I remember right, it had a, a pizza delivery thing on the top of it. And we're laughing, thought, can you believe this? I mean, we were fully expected, you know, old McDonald to get out of this truck, you know, because I thought, can you believe somebody's bring this old farm truck out here to race against these cars? And we're we thinking, this is crazy. What's this guy going to do? And so um, anyway, we're sitting there, we're watching this. We thought we're, it's going to be a blowout because that farm truck probably won't even make it down the quarter mile, let alone beat the whatever. I don't even remember what he was racing. We were too fixated on this old beat-up Chevy truck. But boy, did we get a surprise. The farm truck blew the doors off the competition, and we learned that evening about what is called the farm truck from Street Outlaws. How many of you have ever seen farm truck? Well, just in case you haven't, it's a 1970 Chevy pickup driven by Sean Whitley. It doesn't look like much on the outside, but what it has under the hood blows the competition away. Watch this little introduction if you don't know who Farm Truck is. The Farm Truck was built to street race. The Farm Truck's MO is all about deception. It's all about the bait and switch. What they think they're getting, they're not getting at all. What you got in that big old truck? Just an old farm truck. I found the truck out of an Auto Trader magazine. It came with a small block, and I blew that up. Then we put a big block in it with a couple kits of nitrous on top of that. That's when the game started changing. What's under the hood of the farm truck is a big block Chevy with two stages of nitrous oxide. It started off as a 502 crate motor and then we can't leave anything alone. So we pretty much changed everything about it. So it would go faster. 
far as horsepower, that's top secret information. The farm truck has a bigger tire on it than a lot of cars. Also, the farm truck's heavy. It weighs 5,000 pounds. We use that weight to our advantage. It will hook in situations where other cars won't. Hooking is when the tires grip. From, from rubber contacting the street to the vehicle moving forward, that's hooking. It looks an awful lot like this. When the front tires are in the air, you're hooking. My idea of cool is a little bit different from what other people think is cool. I like an old, ugly farm truck. I think that's cool. You know, I got the farm truck because I like trucks. It was old and ugly and needed a home, so I took it. Now y'all know about farm truck. When we talk about what's under the hood, we are talking about what's driving us forward. You know, a car might or might not be the nicest one around or have the nicest paint jobs or the greatest looking rims or sound system or exhaust system. But if it doesn't have an engine under the hood, it's not going anywhere. And the same with churches. Just like an engine propels a vehicle forward, what we value as a church and family of believers does the same. There are things that we do and things that we do not do because of our values. When a car has engine trouble, it threatens the car's ability to function as it should. And when we as a church get our values out of whack, the same is true of us. We don't think right. We don't live right, we don't make decisions right, and we don't get very far in the right direction. Can you say amen? If we profess to be a Christian, we value what Christ values, and those things are what drive us forward in have a life that pleases him. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this series called Under the Hood, Values That Drive Us. We're going to look at about eight things that we value here at Noble Assembly of God. And so the big idea today that we're looking at is we value biblical teaching and preaching. Biblical preaching and teaching. So if you have your Bibles, look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. And while you're turning, let me just tell you that 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy and Titus these are letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to Titus and Timothy, who were young pastors. They're known as the pastoral epistles or the pastoral letters because they both are addressed to church leaders concerning issues in the church, qualifications of leadership, and so on. So that's a little bit, uh, a little, little insight there about First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus. But let's look at Second Timothy chapter three and verse twelve. It says, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God 
and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming where people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we call upon you and ask you to help us in this message. I pray, Father God, that you would give us a heart to receive, ears to hear what you would have to say to us about having awesome and wonderful God-given values in our lives and in our church. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. All Scripture is inspired by God. That's what 2 Timothy 3.16 says. All Scripture is inspired by God. Because Paul warns Timothy that there's going to come a day when evil will go from bad to worse. And people will deceive you, and they themselves will be deceived. And we see that happening in our day, don't we? People are being deceived into thinking, listen to me, people in our day are being deceived into thinking what's wrong is now right, and what's right is now wrong. We see it in the news. We see it everywhere we go. And this will bring persecution upon those who want to live a God-pleasing life. But just as he told Timothy, we must remain faithful to what we've been taught. And what is that? The Holy Scriptures. The Holy Scriptures have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ. Why is it that we must live according to the Bible? Because the Scriptures are God's Word. They are God-breathed. And that means they are inspired by God. Think about this. Over 40 different authors spanning a total of over 1,500 years, all from three different languages, from Hebrew, from Aramaic, from Greek, various occupations. Some were kings, some were prophets, some were disciples, some were fishermen. Some were tax collectors. There was a Pharisee and a doctor. All different occupations. They were used by God to write 66 books of the Bible that all agree. The only way that is possible for 40 authors over 1,500 years in three different languages from all kinds of backgrounds to have 66 books in our Bible that all agree is nothing short of divine inspiration and divine intervention. All these authors all over the years came together to tell a cohesive story of God's plan of redemption. And that is miraculous. Miraculous. 
as Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the presence of the Lord compelled him what to write. And the same is true of Isaiah and Micah and Daniel and David and all of the other authors of the Bible. They each wrote prophecies that all happened just as they said would happen hundreds, hundreds of years before. For example, Isaiah prophesied about the birth and the death of Jesus 700 years before it happened. Micah, the prophet Micah prophesied about the place where Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Again, 700 years before, Micah said Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, the odds of that happening are around 1 in 280,000, according to Dr. Peter Stoner in his book, Science Speaks. That's just one prophecy written down hundreds of years before it happened. Jesus fulfilled many, many, many more. We have a slide about what is the probability of one man fulfilling just eight prophecies. Just eight prophecies is 1 in 10 to the 17th power, or 1 in 100 by 17 zeros behind it. Or how about Jesus fulfilling 48 prophecies? That's 1 in 10 to the 157th power. That's a lot of zeros. I wish I had that much in my bank account. Or how about 300 prophecies? Only Jesus can do that. Only God can. Because that's about how many prophecies there are of Christ in the Bible. Over 300. Only God could do that. Church, we can be confident that the Bible we read today, this Bible, is the accurate word of God as God intended for it to be. It's divinely inspired. It is living and it is active. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 to 13. I'm going to look up here and read it. We have that, uh, uh, Hebrews 4, 12. I didn't mark it in my Bible, and I should have. I can find it real quick. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest, sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. We read the Bible, and the Bible reads us. God speaks to us through his word. The more we read it, the more we'll realize God is speaking to us. It's also a weapon to fight the enemy of our souls with. Satan flees when the word of God is spoken in authority of power. Satan doesn't like the word of God. When you speak the word of God in your situation and you tell him uh, that, that you are more than a conqueror through Christ, when you tell him if God be for us, who could be against us, Satan doesn't like that and he flees in different directions. Church, we must build. Everybody say build. We must build our lives upon the truths of God's inspired word, not man's ideas. 
if we're going to expect to stand when the storms come. Something else that Paul tells Timothy is, not only is the scripture inspired, it says the scripture is useful. Back to our text in in 2 Timothy 3, 16, it says all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. In in these verses, Paul lists three ways that the word of God is useful. Number one, it's useful for teaching. For someone to learn from it, they must be humble enough to study it. When you were in school, you had to learn various subjects. And in order for you to learn it, you had to study. You had to take tests. You had to memorize things. You had to read the text. The same is true with the Word of God. It's useful for teaching, but we must study it. We must read it. Just like when you purchase something that says some assembly required and you get a booklet of instructions to do it. Now, what do a a lot of guys do especially? Forget the instructions. Give me those pieces. I can put it together, don't we? I've done that. I don't need to look at that. And then what happens? It doesn't quite work out. Things don't go together quite right, and we have to take it back apart, (laughs) and we have to go back to the booklet and see what we did wrong. If we approach the Bible that way, that's our instruction book for life, there's going to be problems. Things are not going to work out. You need to go back to the instruction book as to how to live your life. It would be better. It would be better to approach the Word of God as a humble student, eager to learn. We can say, Lord, how would you instruct me in parenting my children? Lord, how would you instruct me in my speech, my work habits, my marriage, my finances, my thinking, my emotions, my anxieties, my temptations, and on and on and go. I want to tell you, the Bible speaks to every single one of those issues. I remember several years ago hearing the acrostic for the word Bible, B-I-B-L-E. Probably some of you have heard it too. Basic instructions before leaving earth. We need to know before our day comes and we leave this earth. These are instructions inspired by God. These 40 authors didn't write what they wanted to write. They wrote what God inspired them to write. And that's why one and all those zeros chance of those prophecies happened. They happened because God was behind it all. Amen. Paul also mentions it's not only good for teaching, but he secondly says that it's useful for correction. He says it corrects us when we are wrong. The word of God is useful in exposing what is sinful and bring correction to it. The trouble today I have these next four statements, and there's a star by each one. That means you really need to pay attention, okay? Whatever you're thinking, you're thinking about lunch, you're thinking about your neighbor, you're thinking about what's on your phone, drop it for a second and listen to this. This is very true. 
The trouble today is that people are interpreting the Bible through their desire to sin rather than in interpreting for what it says. Back in the Bible, people ask, what must I do to be saved? People today are saying, what can I do and still be saved? There's a big difference. What can I do and still make it to heaven? How close can I live to the world and still get to heaven? My friend, your heart's not right. You might as well go back to zero. Go back to the altar if that's your thinking. What can I do and still go to heaven? Last one, people would rather reinterpret Scripture than repent of their sinful behavior. That isn't what the Bible says. It's not wrong. And there are teachers and preachers all over. They are reinterpreting what God said as sin so that cannot be called sin in our society. The Word of God exposes sin. And when it does, we can repent. And we can ask forgiveness. And we can try to avoid it in the future. That's repentance. That's living with a heart for God. That's not trying to excuse what is wrong. I heard a story once of a little boy who really liked his mother's homemade strawberry jam. Anybody like that? She put some on the countertop and left the room for a moment telling her little boy, stay out of the jam. However, he couldn't resist. He got into the jam and heard his mom coming down the, back down the steps, and so he screwed the lid back on, and he stood there in the kitchen acting like that he had obeyed his mom and standing there all innocent. His mom asked him, Billy, have you been in the jam? He looked her right in the eye and said, no. She asked him again. This time, says, his eyes fell to her belt line and said, no. She asked him again and his head sunk far enough to see the spot of strawberry jam right on his shirt. <laughs> I love that mother's wisdom, don't you? That is how the, repeating, the repeated reading of God's word works on us. The first time we might think, no, that's not for me. My neighbors need that. The second time we read it, we say, no, that's not for me, but the people at the church could sure use that. The third time we read it, perhaps we'll see the spot on our own shirt and say, God, I need your help dealing with my own sin and bringing correction to it. Forgive me, Lord. Help me break these harmful habits and these harmful thoughts for correction. Useful for correction, useful for teaching. Thirdly, Paul mentions it's useful for training in righteousness. It says it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Trains us in righteousness. You see, because once we're on the right track, the Word of God tells us how to stay there and continue offering training regardless of how long we've been a Christian. We need to know how to continue 
to live right. Amen? We need to know how to continue to live right when we are babes in Christ and when we have been a believer for 50 years. The Word of God is useful to us and something we can still be taught regardless of how old you are in the Lord. The goal? To equip us and prepare us for the work of the ministry. All believers are ministers. You don't have to have a title like pastor or reverend before your name to be a minister. All believers are ministers. Are you living your calling? Are you being a minister? And that brings me to the last point. Paul charged Timothy, number three, to preach the word. Preach the word. It says in 2 Timothy 4, 1, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. We are to preach the word. If we call ourselves Christians, we are all to share the responsibility to preach the word. You may not stand behind the pulpit and preach, but you do preach. We all preach. How we live, how we talk, how we work, and how we think, and how we treat others all preach something. The question is, what or who Is it preaching? What are we preaching? Are we preaching the word of God? We are called to preach the word. We are called to preach Jesus, who is the word. And we should be ready at all times. Just like they talk about a pastor being instant in, season, and out. That's everybody, every believer, instant in, season, and out, ready to always give a word for the Lord and lift up the word. When you're at Walmart and you're talking to a cashier there and the Spirit prompts you to pray for that person, stop right there and say, may I pray for you real quick? That's listening to the Lord and being obedient. Maybe your coworker says to you at work, man, I've been having trouble with my shoulder. I've got such a sore, a sore, <laughs> a sore shoulder. Try to say that real fast three times. I got a sore shoulder. Would you, and then you say to them, well, let me pray for you. You know, Jesus is the healer. What an opportunity. That's like a wide open door to say, let me pray for you. Let me tell you about Jesus. Look for those opportunities. Listen for those opportunities. I remember one time several years ago, we had borrowed a puppet stage from the church that I was youth pastor at in Enid, and we were taking it back. And Caleb was with me. Uh, We had the church fan and the church trailer, and we had the puppet stage loaded in the back of the trailer. And we stopped off of I-35 in Perry, Oklahoma. There's a little gas station just off there to the right beside the Assembly of God Church. And we stopped in there. And so Caleb said, well, uh, I don't don't need anything. I said, let me just run in there, and uh, we'll get something to drink or whatever. I think he did go in with me, but he told me, he said, Dad, I'm going to go back to the van. I'll, I'll be in there. So... We went and got our stuff, and then I thought, I'm going to run to the restroom real quick. So I went to the restroom, and while I'm in there in the restroom, there was this man there who was washing his hands. And the Spirit of the Lord, again, right then, checked me and says, I want you to talk to that man. 
I want you to witness to that man. I couldn't shake it. It was as real as somebody would have told me in an audible voice, pray for that man. It wasn't that. It was that strong. So I just struck up a conversation with him and started talking to him. And I don't even know how long we were in there, a long time. But eventually I prayed with him, and he thanked me so much. He goes, man, I just appreciate it. This was a God thing. Meantime, Caleb was wondering, what's happened to Dad. He is out there in the van, and, and finally, I don't, I don't even know how long it was, but finally he came back in, and, and we, I came out of the restaurant. He goes, man, I thought the rapture took place or something, and I, I was starting to pray through, you know. <laughs> he says, I didn't know where you were, and so I told him, I said, well, the Lord had me talk to this man there that was in the restroom washing his hands, and so be obedient. Whatever the Lord tells you to do, we are on duty. For the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So lift up Christ wherever you are. We are to preach the word, as Paul says, in verses 3 through 5, there because there will come a time when people won't want to hear the truth. They will look for teachers and preachers that will scratch their itching ears. You know, just tell us good things. Don't preach about repentance. Don't preach about the cross. Tell us what we'd like to hear. And they won't put up with sound doctrine. He says, a time is coming when people no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Sounds a lot like the day we're living in, doesn't it? People claiming we don't need the Bible. The truth is whatever we want it to be. And here's this. And they get offended when somebody tells them they're wrong. We live in the most easily offended society I've ever lived at and seen in my life. You offend everybody just by the way you wear your glasses, you know. Everybody's offended at something. The Bible says the scriptures will offend. And that's what brings them to repentance. It's the truth. But Paul told Timothy when that happens to keep his head. In other words, don't go crazy just because the world might be. Endure difficulty. Tell people about Jesus and fulfill the ministry the Lord has given you. The people of God are to preach the word of God, regardless of how popular it might or might not be. We have to stand for the truth. in a society when people don't want to do that. I want to close this morning with a story. A teacher of the Bible named Harry Ironside visited an elderly Irishman named Andrew Fraser. Andrew had traveled to California to recover from tuberculosis. He was old and could hardly speak but because, his, because his lungs were about gone. But Andrew opened up his worn-out Bible until his strength was gone. He simply and sweetly opened up truth after truth in a way that Ironside had never heard before. As Ironside continued to listen, tears began streaming down his face. He asked the old man, where did you get all those truths? Could you tell me where I could find a book that would open the scripture up to me like that? Did you learn those in seminary or in college? The old man answered, my dear young man, I learned these things on my knees 
in the mud floor of a little sod cottage in the north of Ireland. There with my Bible open before me, I used to kneel for hours at a time and ask the Spirit of God to reveal Christ to my soul and to open up the word to my heart. He taught me more on my knees on that mud floor than I ever could have learned in all the seminaries or colleges in the world. Let me challenge you today, church, if you own a Bible, use it. It's the only book that's going to tell you how to properly invest your life in a godly way. The only book that will fully equip and prepare you to live for the Lord. We value biblical, biblical teaching and preaching. If I ever preach something that's not in this book, you call me on it. Pick up the phone and say, Pastor, I don't think you're right on that. And if I need to, I'll repent and say, God, forgive me, or else we'll both be enlightened as to what the truth is. It's always my goal to preach the truth, regardless of what society says. It's the only thing that will stand. I'd rather be right in the eyes of God and wrong in the eyes of the world than right in the eyes of the world and wrong in the eyes of God. Father, I thank you, Lord, today. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. And I pray, God, that you help us to stand for the truth, to read and study and memorize the truth of your word. For it's the truth that will set us free. The truth of your love for us. The truth of salvation, the truth of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the truth of the coming of the Lord, and the truth that we will one day all stand before you and give an account of our life. Help us to live the truth. Convict us, correct us, Lord, when we're wrong. For we want to make it right. We want to live humbly as humble students to learn and study your word. We thank you, Father. Before we go into communion this morning, I'd just like to ask, is there someone here today that you don't know the Lord is your Savior, but you would like to profess him as your Savior? You'd like to say, I don't know the Lord, but right now, I want to accept Christ. I want to be freed of my sins. I want to know that my name is written down to the Lord in the in Lord's book. I want to be a child of God today. Would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I want to know that today. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? You want to know, to know, to know, to know, that you know that you know that you're a child of God. We're going to receive communion in a moment, but I'd like for those who raise their hand, take one more step. I'd like for you to come right down here. I'm going to pray with you right here. We're, we're going to wait for you to come just real quick. If you raise your hand, come on down. Come on down. There was a couple people that raised their hand. I don't want to embarrass you, but the Bible says if we deny him before men, he'll deny us before the Father. If we acknowledge him before men, he will acknowledge us before the Father. Wait just a moment. How many of you think it'd be pretty exciting if whoever raised their hand came forward? 
Pretty cool, wasn't it? You remember the day you came forward? You remember the day you came to Jesus? I was little. I was a young, good-looking little nine-year-old, I'm sure. But I was lost in my sin. And Jesus came into my heart. Father God, I pray right now. I don't know people's hearts, but you do. So, Lord, whatever is in our hearts this morning, Lord, it'd be good for us all to look at our hearts. Lord, is there anything separating us from you? We repent of that right now. We repent of, we repent of wrong hearts, of wrong motives, wrong thoughts. We repent of sin. Forgive us, O oh Lord. We want to be restored in your sight. We want to make heaven our home. We want to follow you. We want to serve you. We don't want to be ashamed of you, but we want to live humbly and holy lives before you. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We give you praise. We give you praise. Thank you, Jesus.